Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Uh, Would you mind standing with me as we read God's Word? And as I get the rest of my stuff out with one hand, success. Uh, We're going to start off by reading in John 14, uh, the very end of it. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, I'm going away so that the world may know that I love the Father. Just as the Father commanded me, so I do. And we're not going to leave the last part because it's not time to go yet. I didn't even have that. The last verse is, get up, let's go from this place. We're not doing that yet. We'll save that for later. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your peace. May your peace even now settle on us as we dive into what may be a challenging subject. Holy Spirit, come, fill this place. You guys can have a seat. Uh, We've been going through John uh, as a youth group, and this week I was slated to teach on John 14, uh, so you guys get to have an experience of what the youth, the high school, are getting, which is kind of fun. There's a couple extra additions for those who already heard it on Wednesday, uh, some Easter eggs for you to find. Um, But as I was looking at it, um, there's a couple of verses that stood out to me. Uh, and, and the title that I would have for today's talks is on, faith's, on faith foibles. Uh, foibles is an awesome word. It is an actual word. It does exist. Uh, it's a fun word. You should try to use it at least three times this week. Uh, possibly more, but at minimum three, please. Uh, foible, to, to define it though, uh, I think I have that there because I had to Google it. Uh, it made for a great title at first, but then I had to actually make sure it actually worked for a title like in terms of just sounding good, but it does actually. It's a minor weakness uh, or eccentricity in someone's character. So we're gonna be talking about today is kind of like on Christian living. Uh, and it's on, on these times in life when we, when we don't do what we think we should be doing or know that we're doing not what we should be doing. And, and what does that mean? And, and to kind of provide some context, with this, was, this was probably one of the scariest teachings I've prepped, uh, especially for a high school group. Uh, I've, I've found... Uh, I found with high school and, and with most human beings, but it's just ex, ex, it's majorly it's a lot, a lot clearer words. It's a lot clearer with high schoolers uh, and middle schoolers, uh, where you, you kind of need you got to make it clear. You can't you can't add a lot of fluff to stuff. Uh, and I've actually like come to actually appreciate that in general with teaching of like just what's the point? What's the one thing? Now. This passage is massive. If you look at John 14, it's all red. There are three questions in there from his disciples, but the rest of it is just Jesus teaching. It's a little daunting to try to teach what Jesus taught 
And he already said it once. And he was God. So uh, that was a little daunting to begin with, but what, what was really daunting was that there is, there is a couple verses in here. Uh, there are two verses specifically, and, and they, they troubled me. Uh, they troubled, they've troubled me in the past, and I've kind of, they've been those verses, we probably have those verses in our life where we'll sometimes like, we'll get to them, we'll know that they're true, and we'll know that somehow it makes sense in Jesus, but we can't explain it, so we just kind of like cruise past them. It's like, okay, great, sure, let's go to the verses that make me more comfortable, I feel safe again, cool. There's two of those in here, and I made the mistake of not breezing past them which wasn't really a mistake, but, but it made for like a scary prep for a teaching because it turned out to blow up into this very complex, for me, mental struggle of how do I actually make this clear? Because it's not even clear in my mind. And so what it's like to, 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 to just, I'm just warning you, all this is a warning of what this is gonna be like. It's gonna be like when I was a lifeguard and we didn't have any swim lessons in the morning, so we thought it'd be a fun idea to take those rubber bricks. Anybody been around a pool at all? Like you have like rubber bricks, little 10 pound bricks, they're, they're like, training in the pool. They're equivalent, they're, they're the size of a brick. They weigh 10 pounds out of water, not that heavy. In water, due to their density, they're equivalent to about like a 150 pound person. So we would take two 10 pounders and one 20 pounder, and we'd put them all at the bottom of the deep end. And we thought it was fun to uh, dive down and try to bring them all to the surface. And it was one of those moments where you, at the bottom, it's okay, like you scoop them up and then you can like, like launch off the bottom, so you have some initial velocity, and then you just start kicking like your life depends on it, because it kind of does, a little bit. I mean, you could also let go, but that wouldn't be cool. Uh, so you start kicking like crazy, and then you get up to like a foot below the surface. And I remember, I remember this clearly. There's one of those like moments, I don't remember a lot of things. You can ask my wife, I don't have a great memory. Uh, I like living in the moment, and there's lots of moments to experience coming at me, so no time to remember the past, but this is one that stood out. Uh, like a foot below the surface, and you can, like where you can see air, and it doesn't feel like you're moving, like, and you're kicking as hard as you possibly can, and it doesn't feel like any motion is happening. And somehow, eventually, then you break free, and it's probably the sweetest tasting breath of air ever. That is my goal for today, but it does start by going to the bottom of the pool and picking up 40 pounds of dense mass. So buckle up. We're gonna go there. The first two verses that stood out to me, that troubled me, uh, was in verse, uh, verse 15, and it says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Uh, and then he apparently really thought this was an important thing to know, because he says it again in verse 23, essentially. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Uh, and, I, and I've had, again, these are those verses that are like, I've figured out my means of like scooting past them, where it's, like, uh, I can hand wave some things, and then eventually I like, just don't think about it as much because Jesus loves me, and that's great. Just in false, we'll get back there. But when I actually sit and look at these, I know that I don't always keep his commands. And if I follow logic, that would say, like, well, do I not love him? But I think I love him. Like, I'm pretty sure I love him. But th this, this would make me want, like, it just makes you wonder. Like, well, what is, but what is this, how does this work then? Because I know that I don't always keep his word, and I know that I don't always keep his commands. I know that my faith foibles to bring that back, that I have these weaknesses in my faith. I, I know that those exist. And so when I see verses like this, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Uh, and then, and this was my big mistake. Uh, and this was my big mistake. So it reminded me of another passage that I've also kind of cruised by at points in time in my life. Because again, it's in the Bible, it's truth, I believe it, but I, I don't always want to think about it. Uh, and this was in James, James 2, to be exact. 
Uh, and it says this, what good is it, my brothers, if anyone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? If a brother or sister without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your works without faith, and I will show you works. I will show you faith from my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. Foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? This is where it gets interesting. You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was perfected. So the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Again, it's, it's, it's a little intense. It's like, if I look at my life, I would have to acknowledge that I don't always think that I have fruit, or at least not the fruit that I want to have, or the fruit that I see is kind of sometimes a little rotten. Uh, that's, that's a reality. And so I see this, and it's like, well, if I track, track the logic back, it doesn't make me feel super comfortable. Uh, now, what brought me a little bit of peace uh, when I was thinking about this was, was in Ephesians 2. Because there's, there's a lot of talk in this about faith. So it's like, okay, faith. Well, where else have I seen faith? How is faith connected to my relationship with Jesus? And another place that I, that I know of that is in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And it says, For I have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not from myself. It is God's gift. Not from my work so that I can't boast. For I am his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time so that I can walk in them. So it's like, okay, so this doesn't feel to be like a salvific issue. Like this whole faith in works and if I love him, I keep his commands doesn't seem to have anything to do with my salvation, which is like, okay, sweet. So I'm good still, at least salvation-wise. Like I'm, I'm okay on that front, uh, which is somewhat reassuring. But then it also feels like it has this different kind of vibe to what I was reading in John and in James, right? And, and faith is still a part of it, though. So then I was like, well, what's faith? Well, what is faith, right? There, there's, there we see, I'm seeing this word linked through these. I see a bunch in James. I'm like, okay, faith needs works. That's a thing. James said it. It's in the Bible. It must be true. But then I see it in Ephesians, and it's, well, I'm saved by grace, which is awesome, through faith. So I was like, well, what is this faith? Uh, and I did, I did actually Google this because I just wanted like confirmation. Google's my best friend when I'm doing lots of things. Uh, it does, doesn't own my soul. Jesus does, but it's trying to. Uh, right, I Googled, well, what Bible verses, do, is there a Bible verse that defines faith? Uh, sure enough, there is one. It's nice. It's one of my favorites, actually. Uh, and it's in Hebrews. Some of you probably know it. Uh, it's Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, now faith, there's the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Okay, not super helpful. Like it does define it, that's great, but it's also not, not giving a lot of clarity in this. But hold, hold on to this, though, because we're gonna come back to this. It, it, it actually does provide a lot of clarity uh, here in a moment. 
but if we jump back to James and just the thought that we saw in James, one thing that I, that I realized as I was looking at James is James is looking at one side of a coin, and the other side of that coin is another equally true truth. That's just not necessarily being said because he's focusing on one perspective, which is a good perspective, it's a true perspective. What he's, what he's focusing on is that faith without, faith without works is dead, which means that faith can be alive, right? So like this means that faith is a living thing. Now, I don't necessarily fully understand what it is, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's living, or it can be, at least. Faith is living. It's a living thing. Now, as I looked at John and at James, at least to me, it felt a little counter to Ephesians in terms of its ethos, in terms of like this vibe that it's putting off. And so it kind of felt like maybe, you know, and I, again, this, this, and this is, why, this is why it's uncomfortable. It's like, well, is salvation just this, this white elephant gift that exists? You, know, you guys know the history of white elephant? It's my like factoid that I learned this year and that I love, so I've been sharing it liberally. Uh, white elephant give came from the kingdom of Siam, now Thailand, and they were rare. You didn't really have like white or pale elephants. And so if one was found or born, it became the property of the emperor. And they were revered, they were worshiped in some capacity, but they were useless because they were revered and worshiped. Like, you just, like they were so like, that's crazy, we can't do anything with it. So what this emperor would do was if he didn't like somebody or that somebody had done him wrong, he would gift them a white elephant because it could potentially bring them to ruin. Because you, you, like, you can't re-gift an emperor's gift. It's just not allowed. And you gotta kinda try to keep it alive, because if it gives you, you know, if the emperor gave you an elephant, and you let the elephant die, like, that's not great. You also can't sell it, because again, and so they, they, it, was this, it was actually this cruel thing. So, it, it, so it, it, this kinda reminded me a little bit of, like, is salvation like this? It's a gift, it's by grace, but then once I'm saved, is it a whole lot of work on my part? Like, then does it get super stressful? Like, 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 I'm saved, but like, my relationship is all on my shoulders. Like, I have to bear that. And that's not, that didn't, that just, it didn't feel right. But yet, as I'm reading John and I'm James, it's like, it kind of, it could be read that way, right? It's, it, he says it. He's like, faith without works is dead. You, he's very clear with Abraham. Like, Abraham, his faith was evident by his works. Like, he needed those works. He couldn't have just sat around and thought like, you know, I could take Isaac up to kill him. But nah, I believe God. He doesn't really want me to do that. So I'm gonna sit here. Like that's not what, was, that's not what mattered in that moment. What mattered was that he actually walked out the door, tied him up, and raised the knife. And without that, it w we wouldn't have had him quoted like this, which is a, a little wild. But again, so it's a little bit, it just feels, it feels, is the, is, the, is the ethos of Christian living, is it that different from how I've viewed and how Ephesians portrays salvation? And then just to add to all the crazy, I told you, we're, we're at the deep end, right? We got the bricks, we're kicking, we're, there, there is air up there, and I promise you we'll get there. But to add to all of this crazy, uh, if we go to Romans 4, uh, verses 1 through 5, and again, these are those fun things in the Bible that sometimes, I'd never noticed this before. I knew both these verses, but I had never like connected this. This is Paul talking. And he says, what can we then say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? 
If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. What the stink. I don't know if you guys caught this, but they referenced the same phrase. They both referenced Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. I had never seen that before and I didn't like it. I mean, I did because it was like, there's some, there has to be something here because they are seeing the same act, the same belief, but in what, how they're portraying it, it, it feels different. It, it, it feels off. Right? It feels like this is in opposition to, to James. And it's like, well, as I told our youth on Wednesday, welcome to the oldest, one of the oldest quandaries of faith. Turns out that our works don't matter at all. And that our works matter a lot. Uh, I think I have a slide. There it is. What we do doesn't matter at all. What we do matters a lot. And that's true. All right, we can go home now. No, just kidding, right? This is at the point, like, we're about a foot below the surface. It's coming, I promise. And so what do we do with it? Well, fortunately, Jesus did a lot of talking in John 14, and he has some things that help clarify, uh, that help give us that boost to the surface. If we look back in John 14, verses three, uh, three through six, for a little bit of context, uh, he's talking about going away, and he says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's kind of a funny question, I think, because Jesus had literally just said he was gonna come back to like bring him, but that's fine. Uh, then Jesus said, just to you know, make sure that it was clear, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Remember that bit about faith being alive or having the potential of being alive? Well, if we want our faith to not be dead, then we'd probably want it to be alive. So those are kind of our two options. If you have a third option, that doesn't make any sense. So if we want our faith to be alive, it would make sense to go to the source of life. What Jesus just told us is himself. And so what James is stating is true, that faith without our works, faith without works is dead. That should be a big sign if we're seeing that. But what it doesn't mean is that we then run away to go and try to make them alive, to bring a live fruit back to Jesus, because Jesus is where life is, and we can never actually do that. So this is, and this, this brings us back to that whole idea of like the foibles, right? Those, those weaknesses. What do we do when we foible? Oh, it's a really fun word. What do we do when our weaknesses are exposed? And the closer we get to Christ, the fo- closer we are uh, to him, the more we will see our weakness exposed. So what do we do with that? What do I do when I know that I'm not doing what he commands? What do I do when I know that I'm not doing what he asked me to? I run to Jesus. I let, the, I let him grow me. It's kind of like... Um, if you think about a, f- a fruit tree of something, I don't know, maybe like a pomegranate. Pomegranates are fun. Do they grow on trees? 
Okay, cool. They grow on trees. Uh, that works. Uh, it's a fruit. Either way, it's going to work. But if you, had, if, you had, if you had a pomegranate tree, uh, and then you noticed that your pomegranate tree was, uh, had some rotten fruit, right? Like what you, what you don't do, what the weird thing to do would be to go and start caressing that rotten fruit. Like, please live. Whispering sweet nothings into that rotten, rotten fruit's ear. You know, spraying it with some water. Maybe spray painting some red paint on it to cover up the rot. Like, that doesn't work. If you want that, that fruit to stop rotting, you go and make sure that it has the nutrients that it needs. You give it water. You make sure it has sunlight. We had an olive tree in our kitchen that was in a darkish corner, and we noticed leaves were starting to fall off. So we, like, moved it to a window, right? I didn't try to start gluing the leaves back on the tree. I don't think it would have worked, right? And this, this is the same uh, with our fruit, with, with our lives. If we see that we have fruit that isn't what we want it to be, or we see that we're lacking in fruit, we need to go to that which brings life. We need to go to the source. We need to go to the place where we can actually get our nutrients. And what's crazy about this, and this is a whole other teaching in and of itself, but if you look a few chapters prior, uh, when Lazarus died, and Jesus goes to Mary and Martha, and you see both of them dealing, they're both having quandaries of faith. Right? They're both, they, they knew, they both say, if you had been here, he would, have, he would have lived. They knew that. But then Jesus wasn't there. And so they're, they're wrecked by it. But if you look at how Jesus interfaces with each one of them, and this is just for your own you know, thing later, it's, it's crazy. With, Mar- with Martha, he gives logic. She has questions. He answers her questions. She believes. With Mary, he cries. Mary is weeping. She comes out to him. He sees her weeping. He doesn't try to answer her question the same way that he answered Martha's because she didn't need that. That's not the nutrients that she needed in that moment. He knew the nutrients that she needed, and he stepped into that, and he wept. He knew what she needed for her fruit to flourish. So when we run to Jesus, we can know that he knows what we need because he is life. When he, and as he is life, if he sees something that is not his life, he sees the disconnect and knows what's necessary in that place. And we can trust that he will meet us where we're at. He doesn't expect us to have fruit to go to him. Because that'd be ridiculous. He expects us to come to him to then see fruit. And what's also kind of reassuring in all of this is there's another little bit in John 14. Uh, down in verse 26, 25 and 26. He says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain in you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. And this goes back to faith. How does faith actually tie into this? I want my faith to have works. Well, if it's dead, if it's not alive, then I need to go to Jesus. What does that process kind of look like? Do I generate faith? Where does faith come from? If we look back at Hebrews 11.1, 1, you see that faith is the reality, or another translation says assurance of what is hoped for, and it's the proof or conviction of what is not seen. But I noticed when I read that this time, after having wrestled through all of this, that assurance and convictions are external. I am assured and I am convicted. 
Those are not things that I generate. I go somewhere to be assured and to be convicted. Faith comes from the Holy Spirit. That's where this comes from. That's what builds our shield, the shield of faith, is by going to the Holy Spirit and letting him assure us that we are indeed his child, that he indeed loves us and that we're gonna be taken care of. And he lets us convict us. It, it points out those weaknesses. It points out the areas of our life where our fruit may be lacking. Mixed with that assurance that it's gonna be okay and he's gonna bring healing and he's gonna bring life. And what's actually really fun about the word foible, uh, it's high, it comes through, comes through. As if, if, if you imagine, let's think about the Holy Spirit, right? When I was thinking about the Holy Spirit, one thing that came to mind was the sword of the Spirit. Right? It's, it's, we, got, we got the shield of faith and we got the sword of the Spirit. Uh, what is the part of the sword that does the most damage? That pointy end, right? That's my nice little sketch of a sword there. It's that pointy end. You know what that is called? That end of the sword? It's called a foible. No joke. That is the foible of the sword. It is the weak part of the sword. That is what breaks most in battle. You don't see a sword break down by the hilt. You see it break at the very end. And what's awesome about this is that when we see that our faith is lacking, if we see that our fruit is dying, we run to Jesus and we get life. When we see the weaknesses in our faith, when we see the weaknesses in our life, our tendency is to try to build our own shields to just protect ourselves from them. And that will never fly. We'll just be constantly battling that. If we let Jesus into those, if we let life into those, what we'll see is that our weaknesses become our weapons. Those things that the world says, ah, you're lacking. That we might even say to ourselves, we're lacking. What we see in those moments is that Jesus steps in and is like, all right, I got you. Like, I convicted you of that. That's why you're aware of this at this point. But let me assure you that it's gonna be okay, that I'm going to bring you life. I'm gonna provide you with life. And I'm going to turn that weakness into the point of your sword that you will wield against the enemy, that you will wield to bring freedom to others' lives. It's how, it's how Paul can say that he is, he is grateful for his weakness. He rejoices in his weakness because in, when, when we are weak, then we are so strong. So if we were to summarize it all, right? Faith finds its roots in God. Uh, and it doesn't stay alive by focusing on those works. Root tree doesn't stay alive by focusing on the fruit. But at the end of the day, and this is just the fun part about all this, right? This is the point at which we break the surface. We get that breath of fresh air. So that all of this could just go back to the, how do these two work out? How, how, does, how does the fact that our works are what we do doesn't matter at all? And what we do matters a lot? Like, well, your classic Sunday school answer Jesus, right? That is how, right? That is the only way these actually connect because ideologically, logically, they don't make sense, which for a person like me is painful. But then it does make sense because you have this magic ace that's Jesus that says like, okay, this works out. I don't have to figure this out. I get to run to Jesus with my weakness. It's just like salvation. I turn to him and I find that he's always running towards me. I find that he's already, he's reaching his hand out. One hand out is for the weakness in my life, and the other hand out is the sharpening stone. 
So he wants to take that weakness and he wants to turn it into something sharp. He wants to turn it into something that we do, we do dangerous things with in this world. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.